Just because it's the offseason doesn't mean that headlines or news slow down at all. In fact, here in the Lone Star State where we're based, we're kind of the center of the college football universe right now. Texas, Oklahoma leaving for the SEC a year early. Our SMU and San Diego State on the move to the Pac-12. Welcome in, everybody. It's the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Garrett Turney, Trey Reeves, will join us next time. And Garrett, I mean, gosh, a, a lot of movement here with conference realignments, Texas and OU. We knew this was coming. I addressed it off the top when it broke uh, late last week. But this SMU San Diego State news just kind of piles on, and it gives us quite a bit to talk about in a full episode today. I mean, I'd love to know just kind of your initial reaction to the Longhorns and the Sooners seemingly after the deadline had passed, reaching an agreement to leave for the SEC early. Yeah, I guess just initially, obviously it's going to make the SEC better. I'm really excited to see how this will affect the competition level, see what it means for scheduling, for you know what the what the different divisions would look like, or if it's a pod system, or if it's a rotating rival, if it's like the three six six type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. But obviously this is great for Texas and Oklahoma. You know, they've got their situation where they're going to be giving up a bunch of money, which we can talk about in just a second. And and that's not really much of a sacrifice for them, uh, considering how much they'll be making with this, uh, the mouse and uh, SEC's deal together to, to, you know, make all the money on their channels. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm excited. I'm ready to see what happens. Um, I'm excited for the increase in competition and not just for that, but for what it means for college football, right? It's not like the rest of college football is going to get left behind. This isn't going to be just an SEC-only type thing. It's going to affect, like you were saying, the Pac-12 has got to figure out how it's going to fill some of their holes because their L.A. schools are probably leaving to go to the Big Ten, and mm-hmm. then we have to see what happens from there. And so I'm really excited to see kind of where we go from here and what ends up happening um, in the overall landscape. And if it is SMU and San Diego State heading out, then – uh, that's going to make for some fun football and some fun matchups uh, coming to the Dallas-Fort Worth area pretty soon. No doubt. Uh, it's exciting times. I think it gives us a lot to talk about. It's certainly given you guys a lot of content to watch because as we've been reviewing the numbers, you guys are flocking to the YouTube channel. So if you found us through YouTube, uh, first of all, thank you for for joining, subscribing. We've had an explosion of subscribers over the last really two, three weeks. Um over, well, I guess it's approaching half a million views, total impressions. We're super thankful for that. If you're on the podcasting side and you've been maybe a, a longtime listener, if you're a first-time listener, we would encourage you to head on over to the YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button. Uh, it really helps us continue to grow the show, helps us with um, some business things that are going on behind the scenes. I'll leave it at that for right now. We've got news updates coming 
very, very shortly, it seems. Uh, and your support really makes all of that possible. So at the end of the day, we want to be in the best position to create as much content and on as many platforms as we possibly can to continue to grow the 3Tech family. And you are directly making that happen through your support on uh, Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, etc. If you're not already following, if you've been maybe listening and just haven't quite hit any of those follows, I just mentioned it's free. It doesn't cost anything, and it really helps us out. Um, $100 million, Garrett. That's what's being forfeited by Texas and Oklahoma as far as rev sharing goes, resources being left to the Big 12. They'll redistribute those. Initially, I think it was reported that they were going to be paying $100 million. Now it just appears that they are going to be essentially forfeiting their claim to two years, essentially, worth of, of rev sharing, which will be redistributed uh, to the Big 12 and the new member teams, right? You've got four new mm-hmm. teams, in BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, UCF coming in. I spoke on, I guess, Friday about how I felt like this really made sense for both sides. I'd love to hear from you. Do you feel like one side is is the winner here? Do you feel like one side is, is kind of left at the altar? What's your temperature on this? Yeah, so my initial reaction to it was, okay, great. So Texas and Oklahoma leave, and that means that the Big 12 gets a whole bunch of cash from both schools. It's kind of a buyout. They can use that money to kind of reinvest in some marketing and some branding and you know, see if they can't get a better infrastructure for their conference. It's good for them to be able to save the $100 million in revenue splits and be able to distribute that. But I kind of think that the Big 12 got the shorter end of the deal. Now, I don't think that it's, you know, oh, the Big 12 is getting screwed. Everything's terrible. Woe is the Big 12, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that I wish the Big 12 would have gotten more concessions out of this. Naturally, they don't have a whole lot of power in these negotiations, right? The deal's already done. It's already public. They are going to be leaving. And so it was just kind of a matter of are they going to be walking around as sort of the the the, the two weeks situation, right? When a, a guy turns in his two weeks and he's just kind of walking around the office, not really doing anything because he doesn't have to. <laughs> Until eventually the boss says, All right, just pack your stuff up and get yeah. out of here. We don't we don't need you around anymore. And so, you know, that's kind of what this felt like to me was Texas and Oklahoma turned in their two years notice. And then the Big 12 was like, just get out of here. We already made the schedule for this year, but get out of here. We don't need you anymore. Just turn in your badge and and we'll see you later. So I, I don't think the Big 12 is getting screwed here because I do think that the inclusion of teams that they got with you know UCF and BYU and Cincinnati and Houston coming in, I do think those teams are going to make a difference. And I think it'll be a really fun conference. Reminder, these teams haven't been in the Big 12 championship game the last couple of years. The conference has already started to move away from these two teams being at the top anyways. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say that that's a coaching thing or maybe they just got some bad breaks. fact of the matter is we've had four different teams play in that game the last two years. And so, you know, and none of them are Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, that's not to say they won't succeed in the SEC when they move over. But I am excited about the Big 12 and where it's going. I, I think sure. that there's some real bright times ahead for the Big 12 in terms of what they can do. On, on Texas and Oklahoma's side, they're clearly winning this situation because they're not having to pay massive out-of-pocket fees. They can you know, continue with any scheduled, if it's facility upgrades or if it's you know any sort of like collective stuff. You know, I don't know what everything is going on there with their athletic departments, but anything that they are investing in, they're not going to have that strain from having to pay some kind of massive buyout, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is clearly a W for them, and it also gets them into the SEC. 
making those TV contract you know deals with the SEC and being able to get in on that cut um, and be able to you know benefit from that revenue as well quicker. So um, you know if it, what does it do for the on field product? We'll see. Right. And, you know, again, these teams not competing the last couple of years in the Big 12, slightly different level of competition and a definitely different style of play in the in the uh, SEC rather. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, we'll see what happens on the football field. But in terms of just a business move, great for Texas and Oklahoma right now. I'm really curious to see what this year looks like for Texas and OU, and it's a little bit of a letdown, honestly, as far as yeah. the Big 12 schedule goes, because neither team has just an awesome home schedule. Uh, for Oklahoma, their conference games at home are Iowa State, UCF, West Virginia, and TCU. That's mm-hmm. incredibly frustrating. For Texas, it's Kansas, BYU, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. So most of your marquee games are going to be on the road. Of course, Red River rivalry shootout, whatever you call it nowadays is in Dallas. That's always a neutral site game. But as far as kind of this swan song of going out in style and, and having, you know, uh, kind of that, that Cinderella moment where everything comes together in one year in the big 12, a lot of it's going to have to be done on the road. Now, competition wise, I think Texas may be poised to, to make a run at a conference title this year. Sure. We'll see. They've got to they've got to figure out who's going to be quarterback. And if it is Quinn Ewers, like a lot of people assume, he's got to step it up if they're going mm-hmm. to uh, reach a conference championship. But that being said, Texas and Oklahoma have obviously been recruiting at an elite level. They've got to put it all together on the football field in order to translate that into the competition of the SEC. But I will say both schools have are, are as best positioned as any other school in the country to go join the SEC and compete immediately. I just think it's funny that for Oklahoma, their final home game will be, uh, what is it, TCU. Uh, They travel to BYU right before that. And then for Texas, uh, they get BYU, Kansas State, two games on the road, and then Texas Tech to end it. Just Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it feels like a little bit of a letdown. Well, and I know that the Texas Tech game for Texas is a little bit more meaningful. I thought the funny thing that I saw, just kind of a side note, was Texas Tech was putting it out there that the last two times they played both these teams at home, they beat them. And so I thought that was kind of a little bit of a dub for the Red Raiders there. So shout out to you guys and enjoying y'all's little moment at home. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you're right in terms of their ability to you know, compete sort of immediately. Look, Texas, their issue's never been recruiting. They, they've been able to pull in big talent. They have the brand. They can continually convince kids from the state of Texas that it's in their best interest to play in the orange and the white. But, you know, I, I think the bigger issue that a lot of Texas fans would agree with is for the past decade or so, and, you know, since Mac Brown left, it's been the coaching that's the issue, right? It's been the fact that they haven't had a coach who could really bring them up over the top and who could really – you know, prove that they can be back at that elite level. It sure seems like Sark is moving in the right direction, though we still haven't seen him maybe perform at that elite level yet, right? Much better than the year one. The year one was a little bit of a disaster. Year two, definitely better, definitely steps in the right direction. You are losing your top two running backs who are a lot of your offense. And so it'll be really interesting to see how they can sort of shift that this year and see if they can't, you know, maybe use some of these freshmen, a Cedric Baxter right in that reserve role, or, you know, get somebody to to step it up, see if maybe Xavier Worthy can step it up again and kind of get back to where he was as a freshman after a little bit of a sophomore slump. 
um, and, and see if he can't kind of revive that and see if they can't make a run here at the end of the Big 12 era for them. Uh, and I think both of these teams are going to need to do that, um, regardless of you know if they have the guys or what their situation is. Both teams need to have a good year to convince players next year to sign on, right? Yes, you're going to convince them to sign on to play in the SEC, but if it comes back that your schedule looks a whole lot harder and you didn't even perform that well in the Big 12 the year before that, then it's going to be hard to keep this recruiting at a sustained level, right? It's going to be hard to convince players that, yeah, your, your spot here is at Texas or it's here at you know Oklahoma uh, just because it's the SEC, right? It doesn't work for Vanderbilt. but that just And I'm not saying either of these teams are Vanderbilt, but just having the SEC logo isn't going to recruit for you. Sure. You have to have some amount of success. And so I think that they will have decent seasons. I think both of them will um, at least you know tread water, if not maybe a little bit of improvement for both teams this year. And so I, I'm curious to see how it works. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest excitement here is to see like, okay, well, you know, is it a Quinn Ewers in a couple of years or is it, you know, the, the Manning kid, is he going to come in and finally take that altar and say, you know, okay, this is me. I'm the new guy. This mm-hmm. is the, this is the point for me to come in and prove that I'm the guy. And so, you know, I'm really curious to see, uh, what happens with both of these teams going forward into the SEC as they start to transition. Hey, for Arch, let's just start with keeping your student ID in your pocket. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that is would be true. That would be a great start. Also, just completely unrelated, Quinn Ewers shaved the mullet, which I think uh, is is probably a good business decision as he goes towards the draft, right? Look, I'm not anti-mullet. I, I appreciate a good mullet, but Quinn was not rocking a good mullet. Um, right. it, I think he looks pretty good now. I think it's a sharp look. Now. I, I thought the new haircut was a lot better. And with the facial hair and everything yeah. that he was rocking, it's it looks a lot more mature. It looks a lot better. Yes. And I think it also worked better for under the helmet. There's just something about the little bit of mullet hair sticking out the back of the helmet that I just don't think works. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't work for me. Sorry. Not the flowing locks that like Trevor Lawrence had. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. It was a little moonshiners look for me. Um, Yeah, a little bit. I think think if you're going to be the face of the University of Texas, I think maybe it's just the old fashioned in me having a clean cut. But but hey, that goes well. No, that mug though, it stayed in his pocket. He he kept that ID card in his pocket. So even if he's got to make a new one, it's you know it's going to probably travel with him. Whereas sure. you know, it's, sure. yeah, I get it. It's hard to be a seventeen year old on campus. It's it's difficult, right? You you got to keep up with lots of different things. You got a playbook. You got an ID card. You can't get everything where it needs to be. That's right. <laughs> um, well, Texas and OU. Gosh, we're going to continue to talk about them all off season long. The other big storyline from this past week was George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, on campus at SMU to watch a basketball game. Well, if you know anything about uh, commissioners of, of different conferences visiting specific programs, it's really because they're only looking to poach those teams. And listen, the Pac-12 is in a really interesting spot, right? Uh, the competition level took a big step forward last year. USC Oregon looked really good. It feels like, you know, Colorado could be on the verge of something special with Dion. The Arizona schools are certainly trending in the right direction. Washington had a great year. And then there was Oregon State who finished in the top 25. So, competition-wise, the Pac-12 has ascended out of the cellar at least for the time being. Right. The main issue though is that the Pac-12 has fallen so far behind the other conferences as far as the arms race that is the media rights deals and TV packages that with USC and UCLA leaving for the greener pastures of the Big Ten, there's a power vacuum for them to fill. 
while SMU and San Diego State, who are the two schools that are rumored to be moving towards a Pac-12 acquisition, are not powerhouse programs, it probably makes sense for the Pac-12 to go in this direction simply for a revenue spot. Garrett, they're a couple months late on signing a new media rights deal. Yeah, well, and the big thing for them is, you know, you talked about it with USC and UCLA leaving. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs leaving, and that's already the Pac-12's issue. It's not the competition. Mm -hmm. I mean, the competition level is – it's been fine. It's not like, you know, these were the worst teams ever. There were some, you know, kind of bad teams there for a little while. But, you know, it's not like Oregon was ever a a slouch. It's not like Utah hasn't been really solid for the last couple years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they haven't had these good teams. Um, But I think the issue is nobody's watching – because a lot of their games get played super, super late. And it's convenient for their schedule, but for the majority of the rest of college football watchers, these games kick off at 10 o'clock at night, right? Or, or 11 o'clock at night if you're all the way on the on the East Coast. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just really hard for a lot of people to watch these games. Now, I'm not saying that they need to, you know, bend their scheduling to the people on the East Coast. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that when you're thinking about a meteorite deal, when you're thinking about keeping up in this current climate, you need to find ways to get more eyeballs on TVs. And I think both moving a little bit further east and getting a team like an SMU, if that's the route that they're going to go, I think that'll help because you can start playing those games at a normal sort of 11 o'clock, you know, noon kickoff in sort of these more central time zones for a lot of the teams to get a lot more exposure, right? You'll see people say, oh, look, Oregon State. I haven't watched an Oregon State game ever, but because they're playing a game in Dallas, I'm going to watch an Oregon State game, and then maybe you're a little bit more interested, and that gets the ball rolling, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas, you know, if you if you stay that far out on the West Coast, it will be hard to get eyeballs, and that's the only thing that these TV deals are about. It's just about getting eyeballs on TVs and and being able to put, you know, sponsors on and and everything else. And so, you know, when I think about these these media deals, I think this is kind of a smart move to move out this direction, but also SMU's got a really solid social media presence, and I think being able to increase your social media presence to increase what's going on, you know, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, anything like that, being able to increase the people who are seeing your content, who are interested in your content, reminding people to watch the game. I think that's going to go a long way in helping them sort of sustain some success uh, in this new era of college football. They certainly have the teams and the talent to do it. It's just going to be about figuring out how to get people to watch their games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and I think, you know, the status quo is not is not rosy on the media rights front. The Pac-12 is dead last when it comes to revenue sharing. They distribute about $21 million to each of their member schools. That's that's dead last. The SEC is handing out nearly $50 million a year to its member schools. Even the Big 12 is over 30 a year. So for the Pac-12 to be losing, like you said, kind of the two biggest programs in the best market uh, as far as USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, that is millions of eyeballs that are going to be going east to the Big Ten conference. Um, The other issue has been the quality 
of the Pac-12 content. They've been mm-hmm. in an ESPN agreement, but oftentimes, if you were an Oregon fan, you found this out the last two years, sometimes you didn't even get an HD stream of yeah. your game. Even if it was on ESPN2, it looked like it was rendering it you know, 480 frames a second. It was mm-hmm. so poor in the quality, um, not to mention some of the broadcasters that you had to listen to, and I'm sorry about that, Oregon fans, but <laughs> the, the point was that whether it was ESPN or the Pac-12 or, or whoever was to blame, somebody dropped the ball, and the Pac-12 has lagged so far behind that now, as they need to sign a new media rights deal and are the last Power 5 conference to really kind of jump on this bandwagon, they've got to find something that is new, something that's unique, and something that's going to help propel them forward. Now, SMU and San Diego State would be two relatively new markets, especially uh, the, the Southwest and Texas, going over to the Pac-12 with with SMU. You'd get the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You know, there's not a ton of SMU fans just because it's a very small, very expensive private school. But at least for us, you know, we didn't go to SMU, but we we all live fairly close to it. So we were mm-hmm. SMU season ticket holders last year, right? We watched yep. SMU on ESPN on TV when, when we weren't at the games. I would tune in, assuming I had whatever streaming service they're going to go with, I would tune in to watch SMU play Pac-12 conference games on the West Coast. I would stay up to do that. And so from that sense, they would succeed in bringing a new audience like us into their conference footprint. The issue is, where do they go for their new media rights package? Is it with ESPN? Is it with Fox? I don't think it would be Fox. Fox certainly seems to have its eyes on kind of the two power conferences in in the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, And a lot of people assume that it's going to be kind of a, you know, a a Tokyo showdown eventually when you have the Fox conference and the ESPN conference dueling five, ten years down the line. So for the Pac-12, do you go to a streaming service like Apple TV? Do you do something like a YouTube TV where you have to have a certain bundle in order to watch the games? It's not like that's worked out with the Pac-12 network so far. Their ratings have been abysmal. Yeah, I mean, I think the streaming option is a really good option for them if they can't get some kind of deal. Because, you know, when you think about the the disparity you were talking about with, you know, not having HD streams and some of that stuff, it's not like they didn't have a good deal. They're with ESPN. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not like they didn't have the infrastructure available. It's just they didn't believe that that was worth their time or something. Like, I don't know what it was, but yeah. it was just for some reason ESPN's not sending their best to the Pac-12. And so, you know, I think you have to be, if you're the Pac-12 for me, I would want to be somebody's darling, right? I'd want to be, mm-hmm. you know, let's go over to a YouTube TV or an Apple TV, like you said, and let's go be their darling. Let's be the games that, you know, we we play these games and it's the big tile, the first thing when you click on, right? It just says, Oregon State versus Arizona, right? And that's the big tile. You click on that one. It's the one that they promote all week. Uh, and, and they get a chance to kind of do that. I do think that that makes sense, especially with so many people, you know, cutting the cord and moving on to streaming devices. You know, YouTube TV is, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, streaming provider at the moment. Or if they're not the biggest, they certainly have the ability to become the biggest and to dominate the space. So why not go to them and say, hey, we'll put our games exclusively on your network so that people have to buy YouTube TV to do it. Most people are going to buy it anyways if they're going to get, you know, only their sports, right? Because I know I know for me personally, I don't watch a whole lot of other TV. 
besides sports, right? So if it's a YouTube TV option, I'd probably buy that and just say, okay, well, I still get ESPN. I still get Fox. I can still get the channels I want to get. So why don't I get YouTube TV and also get the Pac-12 with that? So I think some of the exclusivity could work for them, even if the quality of the product doesn't necessarily increase in the short term, right? Even if the the streams don't get better, the, the, you know, the actual campuses don't, maybe they don't do stadium renovations or improvements as quickly as they like to because they don't have the money available from the TV deal. I still think that would be a great option for them because then they get to be someone's darling and they get to kind of get together with one of these streaming providers and say, hey, let's come up with a plan together to make this the best product possible. I think that's a really good option as a way forward for them. I'm really curious from the school side, we've kind of talked now the conference side, but from the school side, the SMU specifically has been passed over a couple times now by the Big 12, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they have tried. I was uh, I mentioned something in the comments of an Instagram post earlier this week and uh, immediately had, I think I had somebody who thought I was talking about TCU lash out saying, you know, what are you talking about? The Big 12 would be so lucky to have them. They clearly haven't asked before. I mean, like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, that's just flat out wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> SMU has tried for years to get into the Big 12. Mm-hmm. The, the issue is that the SMU doesn't offer something unique to the Big 12 footprint. They already have the DFW Metroplex uh, because of all the other teams, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. The DFW Metroplex sends pipelines to each of those universities, right? I mean, it's it's like a conveyor yeah. belt out of the high schools here in North Texas. So SMU doesn't really offer the Big 12 something of value unless SMU was a national power, which they've been really good over the last couple of years, um, but a national power they are not. So for SMU, I think if you can get into a Power 5 conference in the Pac-12, I think you got to jump at it, right? I mean, this seems like, even though it might not be the most natural fit from a geography standpoint, I still think this has to be a major win for the Ponies. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this kind of represents their chance to get back to where they were before the death penalty, right? And I think that that's a, an important thing for them to be able to kind of return to where they want to be, right? They want to get back to being a bigger part. There's no reason they shouldn't be. They got plenty of money. They're in a massive market. They, you know, they certainly have facilities to do what they want to do. So, you know, it's not like they can't get it together to, you know, figure out how to be a good program again. I think it's just time for them to to finally make that return to a Power Five conference, to a, a conference that'll compete to be at the top all the time, you know. And, and they've been building that with the quality of the products on the field for a while. I know that they haven't necessarily put out the greatest product forever, but, you know, they, they've been returning. And if you think about it, even from five or ten years ago, I mean, SMU used to be the team that you scheduled because you needed an easy win in early September, right? Mm-hmm. You, you'd schedule them to kind of get stuff right because they didn't really care about their program and they weren't very good and nobody was going over there. But they've slowly been building something that I think could take off if they get the help from a power conference. At this point, I don't care who's outreaching their hand. You get an offer from a power conference, I'm jumping all over that if I'm SMU. If I got to go and make my trips out to the Palouse, right? I'm making my trips to the Palouse. I'll head out there, right? I'll I'll do a, you know, Tuesday night baseball game in Seattle, Washington and fly back if that's an option, right? Like, that's what I have to do to make this happen. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm doing it if I'm SMU because from a football perspective, you finally get to return to some prominence, right? Now, 
San Diego State, maybe a slightly different story. That might be more of a scaling in California situation, right? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're the team in Southern California, you know, and you can travel up the road, teams like Cal and Stanford, and, you know, kind of dominate the, the Southern part of that state. But, you know, I think this makes a lot of sense for both of them to kind of be the next man up. It's sort of like getting the call up in the major leagues, right? You know, you're saying, hey, kid, it's your turn. You know, let's go. Let's see what you can do. I, I think they have a real opportunity here. Um, And I do think it makes a lot of sense for both of these programs to finally take that next step upwards. Well, and, you know, for the folks that are saying SMU and San Diego State won't compete, they won't be able to recruit, they're going to get left behind. I mean, guys, we've seen this kind of expansion work in the past, right? I mean, you think of, I think TCU is probably the best, most recent example. Mm -hmm. Uh, They went all over the place in the early days of Division One football, right? I mean, they were in the WAC, then they were in the Big East for a hot second. Now in the Big 12, and sure, it's taken them a couple of years to get to where they are, but they just played for a national championship. So to, to say, to automatically discount, ah, oh, well, those are smaller schools, they're not going to be able to, to compete. San Diego State is, is not a small school. Gorgeous campus, by the way. If you've never mm-hmm. been out there, uh, would, would highly recommend a, a stop through Aztec land. But... I don't think that's an issue at all. Well, and on that point, you know, how do you really predict this stuff, right? Everyone, you know, if you look at the last big round of conference realignment, everyone thought Nebraska was going to go to the Big Ten and just dominate, right? They're going to go up there and they're going to take what was theirs and you're going to be seeing Big Red Nation in Indianapolis every year. And, oh, here we go. They've been irrelevant. Like, they haven't Mm -hmm. been a national program in a long time. And they competed extremely well. The year before they left, I think they were even in the Big 12 championship game the year before they left for the they were. Uh, Big Ten. So, yeah, the Mac Brown one second. <laughs> the one second, yeah. And then Dominic Sue was on that team and everything yeah. else. And so you have to go back and think, like, this was a really solid program that nobody, I think, expected to struggle going into the Big Ten, but they did. You can go to the exact same conference and, you know, one year later, Texas A&M bolts for the SEC in, you know, 2011. 2011, they were in the, I think it's now the Texas Bowl, but at the time the Meineke Car Care Bowl, and they beat Northwestern, you know, behind, you know, a 6-6, six and six, finished, I think, 7-6 and six season. And the very next season, a little guy named Johnny Menzel came out, won the Heisman, and they beat the Big 12 champion Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. So, like, you don't know what's going to happen year to year with mm-hmm. these teams. You have no idea, right? TCU was a dominant program, moves to the Big 12, maybe a little bit less dominant for a couple of years, then plays in the playoff, right? And gets to a national championship game. Like you don't know what's going to happen with these teams until they they switch and, and maybe the culture meshes, maybe their playing style is really good for that situation. And maybe they just have a guy like a Johnny Manziel on campus. They just so happen to have found a diamond in the rough that will give them a spark and a boost and can set them up to succeed in their new conference. You, you don't really know. Right. And that's why we don't make these decisions based on current teams. You have yeah. to make them based on trends, based on where we think these programs are going. And then again, on the conference side, based on markets and how many eyeballs you think you can bring in and how that strengthens your position with this new realignment. I think regardless of which side of this issue you fall on, whether you think that SMU San Diego state is a, is a positive change for the PAC 12, you think it's, a sign of, of weakness, a sign of the times, whatever. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, we can kind of finish up this episode on this, the issue of what the remaining powers in the Pac-12 do, uh, namely Oregon and Washington, who were both reportedly lobbying for Big Ten invites uh, as well. When USC-UCLA got right. the invites, they 
reportedly were saying, hey, we would actually like to, to come join as well. Those offers weren't extended, but Kevin Warren, formerly commissioner of the Big Ten, is now like the president of operations for uh, the Chicago Bears. So a change in leadership happening at the Big Ten. You, you feel like there wouldn't be any more extensions go out uh, from the Big Ten office until a new commissioner is elected. But my question for you here, what do the remaining powers in the Pac-12 do? According to The Athletic, there isn't this overwhelming tide of wanting to get out of the conference. It seems like most of the schools are fine to stay. But for Oregon and Washington, that really are the the two other main mainstay powers. Now, I, I know Utah is there and, and has been maybe the best program in, in that conference over the last couple of years, but the bigger brands, the bigger programs for Oregon and Washington, they basically have three months to decide on their future. So from where you sit right now, uh, do you think that it's it makes more sense for Oregon and Washington to stay and try and build the Pac-12 up? or continue maybe to look for greener pastures like their neighbors to the south? I think it highly depends on the Pac-12's ability to find a TV partner, right? I, I, I think that's entirely what it depends on. I think that it makes sense to stick around for a year and say, hey, let's figure something out. And if they can't expand and they can't bring in bigger markets and they don't have any power there, then they don't owe them anything, right? Why should the good people of Seattle and then Eugene Right. Why should they sit there and wait and say, oh, well, there's this you know conference that's kind of dying off and maybe we're going to get some teams poached and all that. Like, why should they wait around when, you know, you got to strike when the iron's hot. Right. Mm-hmm. The, this is the next round. And, you know, I, I do think from a Big Ten perspective, they probably don't do anything unless the SEC does something again. Um, if the SEC maybe reaches out to a, I don't know, like a Florida State or a Clemson or somebody like that, then I could see. Maybe the Big Ten saying, all right, it's time to get into another arms race. But sure. I don't think they want to go that route quite yet just because they don't want to – I don't think they want to provoke and be the aggressors and then <laughs> and then force the SEC to do something else, right? If they go after Washington and Oregon and then the next day, let's say, the SEC goes and poaches you know, Clemson and Florida State, then, oops, you just did something much worse for your conference because you know, those are two massive brands, massive national brands – and extremely competitive brands coming in to the SEC at that point. So I do think the Big Ten stays put until something like that happens. Now, from the Pac-12 perspective, what happens if the Arizona schools and a Utah and a Colorado, what happens if they have the the Big 12 reach out, right? Because the Big 12 wants to be the aggressor here, right? What if the Big 12 says, you know what, we've got some, some good schools going on. We want a little bit more competition. Let's grab some more of that you know, nice flavor of the Southwest there in Arizona and Utah. And let's, let's grab some of that, right? Yeah. What happens then? Well, at that point, you're starting to look at the Pac-12 as a dead conference, you know, dead to rights. <laughs> and, and at that point, if you're Washington and Oregon, you got to figure out something quick because I don't think you want to go the independent route. Um, and so you probably have to reach out and have a less good deal. And so that's why I'm saying they need to strike while the iron's hot. They need to figure out something now or else they're not going to be in a position to bargain later, right? I think that's kind of mm-hmm. the SMU position now. They don't have a lot of bargaining chips, so they'll take the Pac-12, right, if that's who ends up reaching out. Wow. And if if for Washington and Oregon, they're saying, well, you know, we kind of have an option to go, you know, let's say that they only get an offer from the Big 12, 
Like, mm-hmm. would you take it? I think that I would take that if I was either of those schools, because that gives me the ability to play in a conference that has a more clear path in the future mm-hmm. to being a power conference still. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to that point, I mean, two years ago, the Big 12 is in this exact same position, right? Texas and OU announced that they're leaving in, in 2025 at the time. And so the Big 12 was the conference that was on the chopping block. We were saying, okay, now where where did the rest of these schools go? Do, do Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, do they go to the Pac-12? I mean, there were some serious rumors behind uh, the, the Pokes and the Red Raiders to the Pac-12 at the time. Klyovkov did not make a decisive decision. He did not come into Big 12 country and poach. And what does Brett Yormark do as soon as he gets in power? He immediately expands the conference and goes and gets BYU from the West and he gets Houston from down in South Texas and he gets UCF and Cincinnati, two American powers, two conference champions, Cincinnati coming off of a playoff appearance that season, right? I mean, he acted immediately. And for me, that has not only saved the Big 12 conference, but it's also now put them in a position of power where, like you said, all of a sudden, hey, do the Arizona schools, do they want to come back? Does, does Colorado want to come back to the Big 12? You have history here. You won a national title as a part of the Big 12, right? So, yeah. I, you, man, it's it's tough. You could see the pack, the conference of champions, right, all of a sudden be <laughs> left for dead. The buzzards are circling right, right. now. I, if Klyovkov doesn't, to me, if he doesn't act in the next three months, getting a new media rights package that is impressive enough to everybody uh, finalized. And I don't know if you necessarily have to go out and expand in these next three months, but you'd better have some path forward. You better have that five-year plan dialed out for every team in the conference to see if he doesn't, if the Pac-12 kind of stays on their heels like they have been the last, I don't know, decade, they're going to, in my opinion, they're going to be in real trouble as college football really kind of moves towards a three, four, juggernaut conference system right right well and the sucky thing is i think he really has to go and acquire some more teams yeah right? he needs to go get some more some more schools to show up to their conference because I, I think right now the the way that the game is structured the way that the season is structured it's going to benefit a four power conference sort of situation right we only have four instead of five mm. the power five is nice I know that the four-team playoff is leaving, but I think it still probably benefits them to have maybe four power conferences in terms of what they have, right? That means that somebody's got to go between, I think, the ACC, Big 12, and the Pac-12. Now, the Big 12, I think, is clearly in the best position because they've gone and acquired good programs. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's left to take for the ACC or for the Pac-12. Right. And I think both of them are in positions where a lot of their bigger programs – could get poached. I mentioned, you know, a Clemson or a Florida State from the ACC. You could also be looking at, if people are looking at just the basketball side of things, a North Carolina, a Duke, mm-hmm. right? People could be taking teams like that. Miami is certainly nothing to sneeze at, right? That's a, that's a solid program with a lot of brand there. So, you know, you could be talking about a lot of different programs that you could be looking for. I'm not sure that the Pac-12 shouldn't be looking you know, see the shining sea to try to find teams that are willing to come play for them. I know it says pack, but you know, if, if you can go take say, like say, Hey, Georgia tech, what do you want to do? Right? Like just take somebody who's got some sort of a brand, some sort of a, a following, some sort of a city and, and go find somebody out there. Right. Even if it's yeah. as small as let's just say like maybe a Boise state or a Fresno state, someone like that, 
is a little bit more geographical. Go find somebody to come play in your conference, offer them more money, offer them the ability to upgrade their, you know, stuff and maybe rip out the blue turf and get some normal turf and, you know, give them the ability to improve their facilities and improve their overall situation by joining the Pac-12. If you can do that, you're setting yourself up as the fourth conference as opposed to maybe the ACC right now. Whereas if you don't do that, I think you're going to watch the other conferences make some moves and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have a whole lot going on. You're sitting there with, you know, Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and, you know, a couple others saying, wait, what happened to our conference? Where'd everybody, you're not the conference right. of champions at the conference of where'd y'all go? Yeah. Well, okay. To, to close it here, call your shot. Do you think SMU and San Diego State are, are members of the Pac-12 by this summer? I don't think it would have floated if it wasn't going to happen. Like, if I'm just being honest, I don't think it would have floated out there if it was going to be a, a done or if it was going to be a deal that died out. Right? right. The the rumors came out the first time around with you know Texas and Oklahoma. There were rumors maybe it would happen, and then boom, it drops. Right. All of a sudden, the deal is done. And, and so I don't think that that kind of a rumor would get out mm-hmm. unless it was more or less a done deal. Maybe just negotiating over terms and things like that. You can always stay quiet do these meetings over a, over a teleconference or something like that and, and not have to show up to a basketball game, right? If you're showing up to a basketball game, I think it's starting to get into the, the PR territory and how are our fans going to react to this and, you know, starting to think about the overall implications. Um, and, and I do think that this is probably going to end up happening. I personally hope that it happens. I'm rooting for it because I think it'd be a lot of fun to see both of those programs in a Power 5 conference and I do want to see either the ACC or the Pac-12 grow a brand strong enough to sustain itself in the new era of college football, wherever it is that that's going. Yeah. The only downside for us, I think our SMU season tickets would immediately go up in price. If That uh, is definitely true. <laughs> if they join the Pac-12. But, you know, it is, it is what Probably it is. Probably still worth re-upping, though. I think so. I think so. Well, let us know what you think, uh, who you think the best possible fit for the Pac-12 would be. If it's not SMU and San Diego State, name your school. Call your shot. Who would you like to see the Pac-12 go out and get? If you think of a a specific media rights deal that makes the most sense that you think would be most advantageous, hit us up. Uh, 3TechPod on Instagram, on Twitter. You can email us at 3TechPod at gmail.com as well. And we'd love to hear from you in the YouTube comments of this video as well. For Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 